Welcome to the Big Mike Fun Podcast, where you learn about advanced wealth building strategies from real estate investing to creating massive ROI and secure retirement profits. So pour yourself a cup of coffee, grab a notepad, and lean in. Because Big Mike has got the life starting now. Welcome to the Big Mike Fun Podcast. I'm the Big Mike. Mike Zlatnik. And today it is my pleasure and a, and a privilege to welcome Ken. Forgive me if I pronounce your name incorrectly. Uh, Majmadar, right? Right. That's close enough. Close enough. How, how would you say it? Ken Majmadar. Ken Majmadar. Uh, Ken is a good friend. He is a brother from the Collective Genius Mastermind. He, he, is, he lives nearby uh, in New Jersey. Just over. Um, well, now Pennsylvania. Now I moved. To Pennsylvania. Oh, you're in Pennsylvania now. <laughs> uh, I guess you you escaped the New Jersey higher tax and you moved to, to Pennsylvania. Yeah, yeah, very recently actually. Ken Ken runs a an RIA, um, uh, Ridgewood Investments, and that's RidgewoodInvestments.com, right? RidgewoodInvestments.com. That's right with an S. So um, let's talk a little bit about what's happening now. Well, first of all, a couple of things about Ken, just to t- share with, with the audience about you, your, your family, and then we'll jump into what's going on in the market today. Sure. Well, um, I started Ridgewood 20 years ago. I grew up in Jersey City, New Jersey. I'm of Indian origin, so I grew up, uh, I came here at the age of five, so I was quite young. And gee, my, our first apartment was like a tenement apartment where I s- slept on the pullout couch with my little sister. You know, so I would have been five or six. She would have been three. She's a little a couple of years younger than me. Uh, but yeah, I went to school in Jersey City. Uh, actually, even though I'm Hindu, I went to Jesuit high school. Uh, it's a Catholic school. Uh, and then Columbia undergrad, studied computer science and, and minor in econ and finance. And then Harvard Law School. Then I was an investment banker for seven years. So I took uh, companies like Garmin and Sirius Satellite Radio Public, raised billions of dollars, did big M&A transactions that I would read about on the front page of the Wall Street Journal. Uh, I could have obviously stayed doing that and it was great experience. And, uh, but I just, you know, I'm very entrepreneurial. So I, I, I've always been interested in investing. I was a Warren Buffett disciple, read everything I could find on his uh, stuff and actually uh, read some of the books that influenced him that he recommended and read all his annual letters. I've been to the Berkshire annual meeting at least 15 times. And, have a lot of friends there. I think at the last CG meeting, I offered to people uh, that if they wanted, you, well, you were in the room. I, I said, whoever wants to go, I think you said you wanted to go. So yes. maybe next year we'll go together. There's not too many years left to see these guys in action, but it's truly uh, incredible to go there, to see all these people. There's a lot of lessons in what they've built, uh, both that they talk about and that, and some that are less obvious, but that you can learn just by observing them and when they get asked questions, how they answer them, how do they think about things, it's, it's quite inspiring. So yeah, that's a quick background on me. And I, so I started Ridgewood 20 years ago. We are set up as a SEC registered RIA. We manage a plus or minus around 350 million in various strategies, one of which is income real estate. But we also dabble in stocks, cryptocurrency, private debt as well. That makes great sense. Thank you for sharing that. And uh, certainly big fan of Warren Buffett and value investing. And uh, we'll talk about it another day. Yeah, absolutely. But right now, let, let's just chat a little bit about what's going on. We're recording this on July 7th. And I, I, I don't know when it's going to come out, hopefully soon enough. So we, we're seeing this interesting market uh, that uh, has obviously gone down quite a bit, especially in the technology issues. And the interest rates um, going up, at least the, the short-term rates are, are 
still rising and Fed has signaled that I'll continue to do what they do as the biggest enemy is the inflation. And they're less concerned about recession, more concerned about inflation. Um, but the 10-year treasury, treasury at this point has, has gone down uh, below 3%, and we've inverted on the yield curve. So are we in recession now? Are we going into the recession? Um, just high level. What, what do you think is happening out there? Um, so like, I want to caveat this by saying, one, I'm not an economist. Two, my way of investing is very long-term. Uh, and so... I tend to be more driven opportunistically by where I see value. Uh, and obviously I try to stress test things. Uh, if I had to guess, forced to guess, I would say that we're probably in a recession. It just hasn't been officially declared. Uh, for those you know, that don't know the nuance, a recession, you know, it, it, it's like a loaded term, but actually all it means is a slowdown in economic activity, right? So for two quarters in a row is the official definition. But, but you could say any, you know, even if economic activity slowed down for a month or two, you could say that's a recession if you wanna make that your definition. Uh, so chances are, I think we had one quarter of a definite slowdown in economic activity. I think we had probably this, this last, so it just ended the June quarter, right? Uh, so it, it takes some time for them to compile the statistics and, and report them. I would be pretty surprised if it's not the case that in the second quarter, given everything going on, that there wasn't a slowdown in economic activity. And, and by the way, typically our GDP, our, our production of, of goods and services grows, you know, quarter after quarter, year after year. In a recession, it, it goes down a little bit, right? So typically it's going up in a recession, it goes down for several quarters in a row. Very likely we're in a recession, yes. Yeah, just to add a little comment to that, uh latest I heard, this is a projection. This is not necessarily uh, actual, and uh, actual will be known in a few weeks. Uh, the, the, the projection is, is GDP is negative, just a little over 2% in Q2, year over year. So exactly confirming what you said, that we are in a uh, some kind of recession. But recession certainly feels mild, and it also feels a little, little bizarre recession with um, unemployment still being uh, at a point where people can't find uh, employees and the, such, such a low unemployment. Right. So um, as an RIA, making these very long-term decisions with the Warren Buffett philosophy in mind, mm -hmm. what actions are you taking today? Just curious, are you buying anything that looks attractive today or are you basically sitting and more waiting to see uh, uh, better opportunities? Uh, uh, are, are certain... It's a combination. We have been buying. We have been buying. We, we had cash to put to work. We usually try to have some liquidity buffer just in general for lots of different reasons. Um, but you can't be opportunistic unless you have cash to put to work. So we have been putting it to work. Not, I would say, super aggressively, kind of uh, gradually and opportunistically. Uh, and um, what I would say is that I, I, I'm not surprised by anything that's really happening now. It's very difficult to predict the timing of when things will happen, right? But if you if you look back, I mean, we are now at the tail end, I guess, hopefully, uh, knock on wood, of a recession. Uh, sorry, of the of the pandemic, right? right. The global pandemic. Well, back in early 2020, right, right before the pandemic kind of spread to the United States, and it was already kind of you were reading about it in China and wherever. Um, so things were pretty good, right? 
Now you have this pandemic that now, if you, if, if you think about what the definition of a recession is, you'd think if we shut the whole world down, right? That would cause a depression, not a recession, right? And that was, if you remember in our meetings, you know, March, April, there was a lot of people who were nervous, everything shut down, real estate market shut down. But then what happened, which is, the, which is what the Fed's been doing lately, is they flooded the world with liquidity. And that's what they keep, they've been doing, this has been their playbook since at least the tech crash, right? And so this has happened now, tech crash, real estate crash, global pandemic, and even throughout the, the, the period between the tech uh, the real estate crash and this last pandemic, there's been a lot of li liquidity. So liquidity is interest rates going down. Liquidity is printing money and buying assets with it to drive down interest rates further. Um, and then in this particular go around, it was even more explicit. Remember when they used to talk about throwing money from helicopters, like we couldn't do that. They literally did it this time, right? The PPP and the- Yeah, they send those all, checks directly. All, so they literally just wrote a, wrote a check to everybody. It's like, here's some free money, right? If you're a business, you get this much. If you're an individual, you get this much. So it's, it's kind of like not, pe people wouldn't have said, okay, there's gonna be a pandemic. And then people wouldn't have said that they'll print maybe trillions of dollars of free money globally, right? And we, we did that in the United States, but many other countries in some form did that too. And it, it maybe even it was the right thing to do. Right. But what happened is what it, it led to a asset inflation in real estate and all these other things, while debt rates are really low. So instead of causing a reduction in demand, it caused an increase in demand over after that initial disruption. At the same time, you did have supply being constrained by the fact that people couldn't like go to work in their factories and whatever for quite a while. And so you had this combination of things, all of which were kind of unexpected, even somewhat unpredictable. And so you had a boom, right? And so last year, you had the whole thing with GameStop and, and you know, meme stocks and real estate prices going up 30, 40% in many markets. Um, and so all of that cumulative, and then with that, combine that with supply constraints. So, you know, net, finally we got inflation, right? And the, and the Fed has a dual mandate, which is, you know, a good amount of employment, but also with inflation under control. Right. And, and it's that way for a reason, because inflation hurts regular people who don't own assets much more than it hurts people who are investors and asset owners like you and me. That's right. So, so if politically it got to a point where they were really denying it. They were saying, oh yeah, you know, there's, you could see the inflation ticking up since last year, but they were saying it was transitory and then it got more and more and more. And then they were like, okay, we cannot ignore this anymore. Now we got to take action. So they started raising rates and that clearly exacerbates the slowdown in activity. I understood. So thank you for the explanation. All that, I agree with that explanation hundred percent. What you just explained is, is what, what caused the inflation and, and what really happened over the last couple of years. Um, but looking forward, just again, as an RIA, you're working with clients and, and mm -hmm. uh, I know it's difficult to have a forward looking lens. Uh, it's easy to look in the back, you know, in the rear view mirror, mm -hmm. but all that, all that, that you've seen in the back view, what's the likely or probable <clears throat> outcome on a forward basis from the point of view is inflation going to uh, come down rather quickly where it's going to stay at elevated levels for an extended period of time 
What does it mean for the investors uh, as if inflation stays at the elevated level and the Fed will continue to raise interest rates to get that elevated level uh, down to where, where well, they- So my view is that, oh, a few different things. So on the investment side in the markets, for example, lots of companies are cheaper now than they were a year ago. Yes, relatively um, speaking, of course. Relatively. Um, some of them are cheaper than they were before the pandemic or back to the levels that they were before the pandemic. So it's obviously like individually, company by company, we're very much a bottoms up analyst, but we've definitely started to find and nibble on things that we think are gotten to values that are very interesting based on the cash flow and the profitability and the quality of the management or whatever. That's on the public side, right? Uh, sentiment is now fairly negative and that's usually sets up for good investment opportunities if you take advantage of it. Um, however, most people, when everybody else is negative, they're also negative, even though when things were high and they were like, oh, I missed out, I wish it would fall and I want to buy. When it actually does fall, they're like, you know, they get scared, right? Oh, that's true of value investing right now. You, you, you're looking for value. Genuinely uh, deep discounted value based on future cash flows. This is back to uh, Benjamin Graham, Warren Buffett 101, yeah. right? That's exactly what they look for today. Hopefully you can find uh, these opportunities today that the market. So, and, and in real right. estate, obviously what happened is the cap rates got compressed. And so the question is, you know, are they going to go back up? Are they going to stay compressed Now, You know, I don't know exactly what will happen. My own view is always like, hey, if you invest for the long term and you're intelligent about not overpaying upfront, it tends to work out over time. I found that to be the case and I've been actively investing for now 30 years, um, 20 years with Ridgewood and 10 years before that as a private, you know, as a private citizen and investment banker for myself and a few other people. So I, I've always found that taking the long view and looking for sort of value or at least not overpaying, it, you know, generally works pretty well across various economic environments. I do think at this point, I, if I had to guess, I'd say, look, the Fed ha, you know, has to get inflation under control. That's the more important part of their dual mandate. Employment is fine and inflation isn't. So they've got to get that under control. So I think they keep raising rates until there's some indication that inflation is coming down, right? Now, the, the maybe surprise for people who might be listening is, that, and we'll see when, when this gets put out, is... If I had to guess or bet on it, I would say that there's, a, there's probably a higher chance than people maybe are thinking right now that inflation will come down by next year. So, so it might be the case that by, definitely by this time next year, maybe even sooner than that, uh, we may already be in, in the other end of the slope of this cycle. And the reason I'm thinking that is one is that that that's the surprise right now because everybody's expecting rates to keep going up and inflation, you know, to keep being a problem. So I'm always thinking about well, what's the other side of that? But but also um, remember when I said, look, they printed all this money and then meanwhile supply was constrained. I think the one positive on on the inflation front is that supply I think is going to rapidly come back online. I would say over the next, I think we've even talked about this over the next six to nine months, I would be surprised if a lot of the supply disruptions don't get a lot better and the market anticipates. So I think the market's gonna see that. And so if supply comes back strong, 
because now everybody's going back to work and the pandemic is kind of mostly in the rearview mirror, right? Then that half of what we were facing and the cause of inflation gets much better, right? So maybe oil prices come down, lumber prices come down, commodity prices come down, chip shortages go away, et cetera, et cetera. You, you know, and at the same time, there's this curtailment of demand from the recession. So at the same time that demand is going down, supply is coming back online, that could be a recipe for a much quicker flip than people realize. And so if that does happen, then maybe by early to mid next year or sooner, the Fed says, oh, okay, we, we got inflation under control. And now maybe we've even overshot, things have slowed down more than we like and people are getting laid off or whatever, economic activity is slower than we like, maybe we, we drop rates again. If, if that turns out to be correct, then that will probably put a floor under things and maybe even make some of the prices of certain things look great. On the real estate side, I'd like to, I mean, it would be great if cap rates kind of come up a 100 or 200 basis points, you buy some assets at those better prices, which hasn't happened yet. And then if rates come down, you, you know, it'll be back to, you know, a better, you know, you make a, a good return quickly. Uh, obviously, no guarantee that any of that will happen. Others would say, hey, you know, we've gone down for decades. So now it's time to kind of correct and go back up to a normal level. But based on everything I've seen, and based on me seeing this movie in the past, multiple times where every time the Fed raised, raised you know, aggressively, uh, and I'm talking really over the last 20 plus years, they kept, they would always reverse themselves within relatively quickly. So I'm thinking maybe yeah. that could happen again. Yeah, I appreciate that. It, I, I actually have a pretty similar view uh, that they their uh, tightening cycle is going to be short. And you're right, the, the inflation data might uh, show up a whole lot faster uh, that the inflation is coming down based on supply, uh, improving supply chain issues and obviously some level of demand destruction. The other well, part, part of is, my view is also because I there's this book by um, Jeff Booth called The Price of Tomorrow. And he, he pretty much has this view, which I thought was very interesting, that uh, technology is, a, is essentially a deflationary uh, tailwind. Oh, big time. The technology is a big deflationary yeah. engine. So basically, he's saying, look, we're in this world. We're in this deflationary world, which is structurally deflationary because of technology and all the productivity and things that that enables. And so if he's right, then this is just a blip, you know? Uh, Whereas if, he's, if, if somehow that's wrong, then okay, maybe we go back to a, a world where there's shortages of things for you know, five or 10 years. But if I had to bet, I wouldn't bet on that. I bet that the guy that said deflation, we're in a deflationary world is probably right. Yeah, it's a great comment. And um, I, I was listening to um, actually Ken Fisher. Yeah, he's, he's a pretty well-known guy. And mm -hmm. he was sort of uh, thinking that um, this resembles sort of a recession cycle of 1969-1970, uh, where the recession is going to be mild and short-lived, and the Fed will reverse that direction. Uh, of course, I mean, 1973-1974 was a really bad bear market, so hopefully <laughs> the analogy ends in 1970. But, um, you know, Ken, I appreciate your wisdom. Um, we, uh, we'll, we'll do this again. Uh, this, is, this is helpful, at least... Uh, 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 any kind of final, you know, I don't know if you want to share any idea, and I, I know it's, it's maybe folks need to reach out to you and <laughs> ask you for your services. If you don't want to hear a great stock, stock tip, 
uh, idea. But what do you think? I mean, the, the, the we're sort of in this stagflation environment. Stagflation 101 is invest in the value stock, invest in real estate, invest in commodities. Um, but beyond that, is there any, you know, any, any kind of a high level uh, thought you could share what folks should kind of look at besides great value stocks and, and, and some real estate? I, I just think people should extend their time horizon out. I think they need to do their homework and look at things like, again, like Buffett, where he says, look, am I comfortable owning this thing under various scenarios that could happen in the world for 10 years at today's price or more, right? And if you're not, then don't buy it. You know, don't put money into it, right? And part of that is also diversification as well, right? It's like, don't put all your eggs in one basket because a lot of times people just think, oh, like I know everything, you know, I know the answers. So they bet thinking that they know the answer and then they're wrong. And unfortunately it's a disaster and hard to correct. So obviously intelligently diversifying to some extent, I think is always a good idea. So have some liquid reserves have some you know, good quality companies in the stock market that you, you, know, you bought right, or that pay dividends and are run by smart people like maybe like Warren Buffett or, or you know, whoever, you know, uh, Google founders or whatever, or Facebook. Uh, and uh, then, and that, you know, and another thing is think long-term. So don't do something for six months or 18 months if you're not willing to do it for 10 years, right? Yeah, that's the most fundamental advice. And it's not always easy for everyone to invest with 10 year horizon, but that is classic Warren Buffett. You, you invest to, to buy indefinitely. And but it's, it's what it is. It's a way of thinking about things that that's right. really the bigger value. Like it's even true in life, right? You think like, where do I want to be in 10 years or 15 years? Not like, oh, you know, I want to jump up and down and be somewhere tomorrow all the time, right? that short-term thinking will, will steer you wrong a lot. Whereas if you just think long-term, even if you act shorter, but you think long-term, that really keeps you out of trouble a lot of the time. Um, so that's, I think that's the value of the framework. And by the way, I would also say like, you, you should do your homework before you make investments, or, et cetera. But if you don't have the time, let's say, cause you're focused on whatever else, then find someone you can trust who's doing the homework for you, right? Agree the hundred percent. Somebody that's... like you with tempo or whatever, but you know you got to rely on somebody. You, you either got to do the homework and do the work, or if you can't, then you got to have somebody you can trust who is doing it at the level that needs to be done to be a long-term player. And those are the words of the wise. Thank you, Ken. Appreciate your wisdom. It's richwoodinvestments.com. Appreciate uh, you coming on the podcast. And uh, all good things come to an end. So does this podcast. Thank yeah, you. exactly. Thanks. Thanks, Mike. Thank you for listening to the Big Mike Fund Podcast. To receive your copy of Mike's How to Choose a Smart Real Estate Fund book, head to BigMikeFund.com or visit Amazon and type Mike's slot name. Keep listening and keep investing Big Mike style. See you on the next episode.